Uh, it's great to be with you this morning. I hope that you guys are as pleased to be here as I am. Um, yesterday was a big day here at Netherwood Park. Yesterday was our vacation Bible school. We had about 65 kids and a whole bunch of people who volunteer to help in different ways. I want to take just a moment to thank all of you guys who participated in Vacation Bible School in some way um, yesterday and in the days and weeks leading up to Vacation Bible School. Thank you so much for your help making it such a, a wonderful day. I want to say a special mention for the youth group. It was great to have so many of you guys there yesterday helping out. Um, it's amazing how the little kids react to the big kids. They love having you guys around, so thank you for that help. also want to tell you about something that's happening um, tomorrow. We have a group that is leaving tomorrow, going down to Portales to work at the uh, Christian Children's Home down there to do a a variety of tasks, Um, so please keep them in your prayer. You know, our theme this year is living the word in the world, and I want you to know that when we live out God's word in the world, it has great power. Got a good illustration of this just recently. My dad was at an event um, with other retired public school educators Um, He reacquainted himself with a lady from Portales who happens to be affiliated, both she and her husband are affiliated with the the children's home. She asked my dad about what he was doing now. Well, you know, he's living in Albuquerque. Well, where are you going to church? I go to church at Netherwood Park. And at that mention of Netherwood Park, her face brightened up and her response was, we love Netherwood Park. And her impression of Netherwood Park is completely dependent on the group of people who went down there last year and worked at the home. And she saw the spirit they had, saw the hard work that they did, what they accomplished. And so now her opinion of Netherwood Park is off the charts because they went and they lived out the word in that world. So people notice, people see what happens. Our lives and when we live them out as God would have them live, uh, have them be lived has great power in the world around us. So continue to live your life as the word would have you in the world in which we live. Something else I want you to know about Netherwood Park is we believe in the power of that word that we're talking about. We believe that the word itself has great power. That's why we have Bible classes. That's why we have a Bible reading challenge. That's why we encourage everybody to be deeply immersed into God's word. Our challenge this year is called the Project 9K Challenge. We're working towards reading at least 9,000 books of the Bible collectively in this year, in 2017. So I want to give you an update about where we are. To date, we have read 2,432 books of the Bible. So obviously, we've got a long ways to go. We need more people to participate. We need to continue to report. Um, We'll have some special challenges coming up where we'll uh, increase the pace that we're on. But please continue to immerse yourself in God's word. I also want you to know that we are a congregation that believes very deeply in the power of prayer. We are a praying congregation. If you're around us much at all, you'll see that we pray for each other. We pray for the world around us. We pray for friends and family. We pray for people that we don't even really know, but we know that they have a need for God's intervention in their life. And we would love to pray for you. So if you have something that you would like for us to pray for, it's in your life or in the life of someone else, won't you let us know about that? We have some communication cards that you'll find in front of you. And on one side, you'll see where it says prayer requests. If you'd fill out your prayer requests on this card and then drop it in one of our collection boxes, you can know that we will honor that request. 
tomorrow morning I'll send out an email to literally hundreds of people who will be waiting for those prayer requests and will be praying for those who have made those requests. You can find two collection boxes at the back of the auditorium and you can find another one through these double doors. So won't you let us know how we can be praying for you. Something else you need to know about this church is we believe very strongly in the power of baptism. We believe that it's in baptism where we die to our old self and we emerge as a new creation. It's in baptism where we join with Jesus Christ in his death and burial and resurrection. We believe that it's in baptism that we receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. We believe that it's through baptism that we're clothed with Christ. So if you have questions about baptism, if you believe that Jesus is the Christ and you haven't participated with him in his death and his burial and resurrection, we should have a conversation about that. And to have that conversation, all you need to do is take that same card and on the back you'll see it says next steps. If you'll just fill out your contact information and check on there that you'd like to talk to someone about baptism, we'll contact you right away and we'll have that conversation. We'll answer those questions. And then the final thing that we want you to know is that we believe that there is power in the church. We believe that collectively there is much more power than there is individually. We believe that God has called us together as a church because we need each other and the world needs a strong church. So we believe that it's important that every Christian is a member of a local congregation, part of a a local family. We obviously believe that you should be a part of this congregation, this local family, but you should be a part of some congregation. If you've been attending Netherwood for a while and you haven't yet let us know that you want to be a part of this family, why don't you let us know that today as well? You can do that with the same card. As a next step, you can check the box that says, I'd like to talk to someone about being a member of Netherwood Park. If you'll do that and drop it in that collection box, we'll contact you right away. We can have that conversation with you. We can answer any questions that you have so that you can become a part of this church family so we can work alongside each other, so we can live out the word in the world together. So won't you consider doing that today as well? Well, where are we in our sermons? Well, we're in the second week of a new sermon series. This sermon series is called Jesus Asks. Each Sunday during the months of June and July, we'll be looking at a different question that Jesus asked then and which he is asking us now. We'll be seeing how those questions that Jesus asked then are relevant to us now. We started this series last week with questions that Jesus asked his disciples about identity. He first asked them what the word on the street was about him. He said, who do people say I am? Who do they say I am? And then Jesus followed up with a question that was much more personal and much more relevant. He asked the disciples, and who do you say that I am? And last week, we asked ourselves a couple of questions in response to those questions that Jesus asked. We asked ourselves, who do our lives say that Jesus is? And we also ask, based on the way that we are living our lives, who will others, who will the people in the world, who will they say Jesus is? And today we're going to turn our attention to yet another question that Jesus asked his disciples. He asked them, why are you so 
afraid. And as we get ready to talk about fear, let's turn to God and let's pray. Father, we live in a scary world. Father, there are many things that can harm us that are out of our control. And Father, it's easy for us to live our lives in fear. But Father, we know you have called us to live lives without fear. To live lives where we rely on you. So Father, help us to turn our eyes to you. Help us to put our lives under your control. Because Father, we know you have all control. And Father, we pray this prayer through Jesus who is the Christ. Amen. Well, the Bible has a lot to say about fear. In fact, no command is repeated more often in the Bible than some variation of do not be afraid. Let me give you just a quick sampling of some of the Bible instructions that give us that, that, that charge to not fear. Deuteronomy chapter 31 verse 6 we read, Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified. In Isaiah chapter 35 and verse 4, it says, Say to those with fearful hearts, Be strong and do not fear. In Joshua chapter 1 and verse 9, we read this, Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. In Philippians chapter 4 and verse 6, we read that we're not to be anxious about anything. In John chapter 14 and verse 27, Jesus said this. He said, do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. And as was just read in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 34, Jesus said, do not worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Over and over again, the Bible tells us not to be afraid. And it's not like we seek out fear, is it? It's not like we enjoy living our lives in fear, is it? So why are we so afraid? Well, I think the obvious answer is we're so afraid because there are so many things in our world to be afraid of. There are so many things over which we have little, if any, control that can harm us and harm the ones we love. You know, if you just take a quick glance at our prayer requests every week, you're reminded that there are real and scary things in our world. Things that can harm us. Things that can harm our loved ones and over which we have little, if any, control. Each week we read about devastating illnesses and disease. We read about the side effects of accidents We hear about financial distress. We observe the consequences of failed relationships. And that's just our prayer requests. When we widen our field of view, we become aware of even more real and scary possibilities that are in our world. Things like natural disasters. Things like terrorist attacks. We live in a world with plenty of things to fear. And that's why I'm sure that many of us walked in here today afraid. 
And now that I've gone through this list, if you didn't walk in here afraid, you may be afraid now. And that's not my intent, is to make you afraid. But my intent is to spend some time talking about what we as Christians, as followers of Jesus Christ, as worshipers of God, are supposed to do with this biblical command of fear not. How are we supposed to live our lives without fear in this world that's full of scary things? And I really do believe that the key to living biblically fearless lives is found in our text today. In our text about Jesus calming a scary storm. So what I want to do is first I want to read Matthew's account of the storm and then I want to read Mark's account of the storm. We'll start in Matthew chapter 8 and verse 23. Listen to this storm. Jesus got into his boat and his disciples followed him. Without warning, a furious storm came up on the lake so that the waves swept over the boat. But Jesus was sleeping. And the disciples went and woke him saying, Lord, save us, we're going to drown. And he replied, you of little faith, why are you so afraid? Then he got up and rebuked the winds and the waves and it was completely calm. The men were amazed and asked him and asked, what kind of man is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Now Mark's account, Mark chapter 4, verse 35. Mark tells the story this way. When evening came, Jesus said to his disciples, let's go over to the other side. And leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. A furious squall came up, and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Well, this is probably a familiar story to most of us who are here. This story has been a staple of children's Bible classes for as long as there have been Bible classes. And then the song that Zane just led, the Master the Temptest is Raging, it's one of those dramatic and emotional hymns that just sticks with us. I always loved singing that hymn, especially when I was a kid. I, I loved the, the change in tone and mood in the hymn. I loved the big buildup. You know, we always really gave that a lot of emotion. Whether the wrath of the storm tossed sea or demons or men or whatever it be, no waters can swallow the ship where lies the master of ocean and earth and skies. And then the abrupt change in tone and mood. They all shall sweetly obey thy will. Peace be still. Peace be still. They all shall sweetly obey thy will. Peace 
peace be still. It's a familiar story. And because that story is so familiar, or at least the Bible school version of the story and the song version of the story are so familiar, it's really easy for us to just kind of skim through the story. Or maybe just sing through the song without really catching what's going on in this story of Jesus calming the storm. So let's take a closer look at the story of the storm. And the first thing that we should notice about this is that this is no ordinary storm. Remember how Mark described it? He described it as a furious squall. Other translations read it this way, a fierce gale of wind or a fierce windstorm. Matthew's description is similar to Mark's. He calls it a furious storm, or in other translations, a great storm, or a violent storm. Furious, fierce, great, violent. This is no ordinary storm. In fact, Matthew uses the Greek word seismos to describe the storm. Seismos, does that sound familiar? It should sound familiar. It's the Greek word seismos. It refers to earthquakes. It literally means to shake. Seismos is the source of our English word seismic. So this was a shaking storm. The wind was shaking. The waves were shaking. The boat was shaking. It seemed like the whole world was shaking. And this shaking storm left these experienced sailors and these professional fishermen shaking in their sandals. It's no ordinary storm. They had every reason to be afraid. They had reason to fear for their lives. And it probably doesn't help that Jesus is asleep. As the world is shaking, as the disciples are shaking in their sandals, Jesus is sound asleep. Jesus is unshaken. And I would imagine that the fact that he is asleep, the fact that he is unshaken, is what leads the disciples to conclude that Jesus just doesn't care. Just doesn't care about them. Just doesn't care about the fact that they may be about to drown. So they wake him up. Can you picture that scene? Trying to decide who's going to wake up Jesus. The wind's getting stronger. The waves are getting higher. The disciples are getting more and more agitated. And every time they look over at Jesus sleeping, I imagine they got even more agitated. And then finally, one of them, I always imagine is probably Peter. One of them goes over and grabs Jesus' shoulder and shakes him awake and as Jesus opens his eyes he opens his eyes to the scene of these wide-eyed these wild-eyed men who are convinced that they're going to drown and who are convinced that Jesus just doesn't care in Mark's telling that Jesus got up and rebuked the winds and the waves and then he questioned the disciples he questioned their fear and he questioned their faith Matthew recalls it slightly differently. In his account, Jesus first questioned the disciples' fear and questioned their faith, and then he rebuked the winds and the waves. 
And I want to focus for a minute on that word rebuked. That's really an interesting word choice, isn't it? He rebuked the winds and the waves. Here's a definition of rebuke. If you rebuke something, you're expressing sharp disapproval or sharp criticism of something because of its behavior or its actions. And that's really a different picture than I always had of Jesus calming the storm. I think it probably came from that song that we sing. I always kind of pictured it as like this zen-like moment where Jesus got up and quietly and calmly spoke soothing words to the wind and the waves and said, Peace, be still. But the picture we should have is of Jesus getting up and expressing sharp disapproval and criticism of the winds and the waves because of their behaviors and actions. It's more like stop it. Cut it out. Stop doing this. I'm reminded of a sleepover that my daughter Jessica and numerous of her preteen girlfriends had over at our house one time. So it was bedtime, and I gave him the dad speech. The dad speech was, you can stay up as late as you want, as long as you are quiet. Because there are other people in this house who need to get their sleep. I was talking, obviously, about myself. So I gave him the dad speech, and I went to sleep. And sometime during the early morning hours, I awoke to loud voices and laughter and a big commotion. So I snuck down the stairs, I flipped the light switch, and I said, quietly and peacefully, peace, girls, be still. No, I didn't do that. I went down the stairs, I flipped on the light switch, and I rebuked Jessica and her friends. I expressed sharp disapproval of their actions. What I did was I made sure that they understood who had ownership and authority and control of this house. I even threatened to grab my sleeping bag and plop right down in the middle of all of them if they refused to be quiet. And it worked. See, that's what Jesus did, minus the sleeping bag part. He, he rebuked the winds and the waves. He expressed sharp disapproval of their actions. What he did was he made sure the winds and the waves understood who had ownership, who had authority, who had control of the world. And once that was established, like Jessica and the other girls, the winds and the waves immediately got quiet. They went to sleep. But Jesus didn't stop with the winds and the waves. He also seemed to rebuke his disciples. And he did it by asking them questions. Why are you so afraid? It could be interpreted lots of different ways. He's asking them, why are you so cowardly? Why are you so timid? Why are you a bunch of scaredy cats? And Jesus isn't asking why they're afraid of this particular storm. What he's asking is, why do you still have fear in your hearts? Why are you so afraid? And then with his next question, Jesus makes a crucial connection. Listen carefully to what I'm going to say. Jesus doesn't just question their great fear. He also questions their little 
faith. Jesus links fear and faith. And the reason why he links fear and faith is because when there is great fear, there is always little faith. And when there is great faith, there is always little fear. And I imagine the disciples miss that connection when they're in the boat. In fact, I think it's remarkable that they even remember Jesus' questions about fear and faith. Because their fear of the storm has been replaced, and it's been replaced by a much stronger emotion. Their fear has been replaced by terror. Mark tells us that their fear of the storm was replaced by their terror of Jesus. Matthew says by their amazement at Jesus. Who is this? Who is this that even the winds and the waves obey him? Well, what is terror? Well, terror is fear magnified, isn't it? Terror is fear multiplied. Mark uses the Greek word phobeo to describe what they were feeling. Phobeo should remind you of the English word phobic or phobia. It's the source of those English words. See, the disciples are no longer shaking in their sandals over what the storm is doing. They're now shaking in their sandals over what Jesus has just done. Who is this? That even the winds and the waves obey him. They're in awe. They're amazed. They're overwhelmed. They are terrified. Terrified at the power of the one who commands the winds and the waves and they obey. I'm reminded of Isaiah's reaction to the vision that he received. Isaiah chapter 6, listen to this. Beginning with verse 1. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on a throne, high and exalted. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphs, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. Listen to this. At the sounds of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. And Isaiah's response, Woe to me, I cried, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King. My eyes have seen the Lord Almighty. See, that was Isaiah's reaction to realizing that he had been given a vision of the presence of the Lord Almighty. Isaiah was terrified. And the disciples were terrified. Because in the calming of the storm, they realized that they were in the presence of the King of the Lord Almighty. Who is this? Well, what does this story have to say about us? What does this story have to say about our fears? 
Well, this story tells us that the key to overcoming our fear is to instead become terrified. You see, before this story can really comfort us, it must, it must first terrify us. I was looking back at my study notes that I made in preparation from this lesson a while back, and I wrote this in my notes. I said, goal of the sermon, convince the people who came in fear to leave terrified. Sounds more like a horror movie or something, doesn't it? Convince the people who came in fear of the fear of the things, the scary things in the world, to leave terrified. To leave in awe of Jesus. To leave convinced that Jesus is the Lord. See, I'm convinced that before Jesus can calm our fears, he must first terrify us with his power. What do I mean by that? Well, see, if we don't have faith, if we don't trust, if we aren't terrified by the fact that Jesus is mightier than the most powerful shaking storm, then we won't ever see that he is more powerful and greater and more glorious than anything and everything else in all the world. And if we don't see that, if we aren't terrified by the fact that Jesus is more powerful and greater and more glorious than anything else, then we're destined to repeatedly succumb to faith-killing fear in our lives. If we believe that the storms of life are more powerful than Jesus then we're destined to repeatedly to, to repeatedly succumb to faith-killing fear. You know, this is a story that's frequently offered as a source of comfort to people who are going through difficult times. And most often I hear this story offered this way. The narrative goes something like this. You see, we learn from this story of Jesus calming the storm that if we have enough faith to call on Jesus in the midst of our storms, then Jesus will remove our storms so that we can have peace. That's a really nice sentiment, isn't it? But the problem with that nice sentiment is it isn't true. It isn't even biblical. Now, here's the reality of being in the boat with Jesus. If we commit to being Jesus' disciple, if we choose to climb in the boat with Jesus, storms will come. And Jesus won't always remove our fears by removing our storms. No matter how great our faith. And we know that, don't we? The cancer isn't always cured. The injuries don't always heal. The relationships aren't always mended. The terrorist attacks don't always happen somewhere else. Let's ask Paul what life in the boat with Jesus is like. 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 24, Paul writes this about his life in the boat with Jesus. Paul, the great man of faith. He says, five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. 
I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my own countrymen, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false brothers. See, Paul is quick to tell us that when you get in the boat with Jesus, storms will come. And Jesus won't always calm those storms. But he can calm us when we're in the storms. If we have faith. If we have faith that our Jesus is greater than any storm. If we are terrified by his power. You see, Paul also said this about being in the boat with Jesus. In Philippians chapter 3 and verse 8. Paul says, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. You see, our key to fearlessness isn't stormlessness. Let me say that again. Our key to fearlessness is not stormlessness. The key to fearlessness is faithfulness. Being full of faith. We're emptied of fear when we're filled with faith. You see, when we know the greatness of Jesus Christ, when we are truly terrified by Jesus' great power and authority and control, it's that knowledge, it's that terror that intensifies our faith. It magnifies our faith. It grows our faith. And it calms our fears, even when we're in the middle of the storm. You see, we can be fearless because we live lives, not lives that are without storms, but because we live lives in the boat with Jesus. Who is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. You see, we're living our lives in the boat with the one who has all power, all authority, and all ownership. We are living our lives in the boat with the one who healed the sick. The one who cast out the demons. The one who fed the crowds. The one who calmed the storm. The one who raised the dead. The one who left his own tomb empty. We're in the boat with the one whose power and authority terrifies But as it terrifies, it drives out our fear. And because we're in the boat with him, we're able to have faith. We're able to have trust. We're able to have confidence. We're able to have calm assurance. At the beginning of the sermon, I went through some quick verses where the Bible tells us, do not fear. But those verses don't stop there. 
Those verses tell us why we shouldn't fear. Do not fear, for he is with you. Do not fear, for he will strengthen you. Do not fear, for he will help you. Do not fear, for he will uphold you. And do not fear, for he will take you home. He'll take you home where there is no fear and where there are no storms. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your son. And Father, we thank you for being a God who cares about us. A God who doesn't just care, but a God who has all power and authority and control and ownership. And Father, help us to be terrified as we come to the realization of who you are and who Jesus Christ is. But, Father, help us to also not just be terrified, but, Father, be amazed that the God with that power and authority is a God who loves us deeply. The God who will calm our fears and the God who will take us home. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. So, as you leave today, please don't leave in fear. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Instead, leave terrified. Terrified by the God who not only has all power and all authority and all control, but the God who also loves you. The God who wants nothing more than to take you home. For there is no fear and there are no storms. Let's stand and let's sing about going home.